Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, and today I'm talking to someone who I've been I've been friends with, um, at least you know not incredibly close. She doesn't live next to me, but she lives close enough that I should see her more than I do. Her name is Shemaine Daniels. She is on city council in Harrisburg, PA, and we met through YEO, the Young Elected Officials Network. And if you are listening to this and you are or are about to become an elected official and you are under 35, highly recommend it. There are so many resources for people in office or planning to be in office. But this is one that, especially for young people, we really need to amplify, and I hope that you will consider it. Uh, today we're going to be talking about you know, how she got into politics, some of the challenges for men and that may affect women and their expectations in politics and what's going on on local government, and hopefully you will be uh, motivated to run for office too at the end of this. That would be ideal to me. So, Shemaine, um, thank you for talking, and uh, how are you today? Well, I'm, I'm doing pretty, pretty well, pretty well. Okay, you're, you're allowed to say you're doing poorly if you are. I'm not going to judge you. <laughs> no, I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Great, and... and we met years ago. It's been six years now since we I met, went to the YEO conference, and I'd like to go again, but it's it's hard for me with life and kids and everything. Um, but so since then, tell me about like you've been in office for a bit there, right, in Harrisburg? Yeah. So I am in my this is my eighth year. I'm finishing up my second term, and I am getting ready to run for my third term. Mm-hmm. Um, petition signatures start February 16th and they end, I think, March 9th. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I'm getting ready to run for the for third term. This reminds me, I need to start getting petitions next week, too, because I am also <laughs> running to say that. Um, so, um, but so we we both got into elected office at the same time and basically the same level, though Harrisburg's bigger than my area. Um, wh- what was it that had you always been politically minded? Did you have an idea that this is something you would want to do? What or was it out of the blue? It was a combination of things, right? Like uh, you you see what I the things I care about. I care about immigrant rights and women's rights. And I had been, um, you know, in when I moved to Pennsylvania, most of my work was employment rights-based legal work where I mostly represented immigrant workers. Um, and what would happen often is that there would be a law that made no sense. And as a lawyer, I can't fix the law. I could just fight for what is available. Um, and then, you know, over the years, I learned that even lawyers were really bad at contacting their elected officials to tell them, like, hey, this is a pretty bad law. Like, or, you were, you know, you voted for this, but I don't think that's what you meant to vote for. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there were times where things were really simple. Like, I remember, you know, it was um, a regulation that was internally inconsistent on one of my client's cases, which made him eligible for something. But if he was eligible for that thing, it made him ineligible for it five years later. Um, and I was like, I don't think this is how this was intended to work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and all it took was like a phone call and they were like, oh, we never picked up on that. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, so, uh, and it was fixed like very quickly. And, and that had been after years of lawyer, 
to each other on listserv about how this doesn't make sense and when this five-year period comes up, you know, we'll, we'll have to deal with it and how are we going to deal with it. And, you know, little did we know that the phone call, you know, would have been enough. Um, so, you know, so there was that kind of sense of, like, growing increasingly frustrated at what was available was done good enough. Um, but I personally, I don't like being the person or the face of a thing. Uh, you know, I don't like bringing attention to myself. So running myself um, was never in my mind. Um, I became involved with the Democratic Party locally because I figured I could translate things for them, you know, when no one is watching. Um, <laughs> you know. And then it just happened that, um, you know, we had a really great senatorial candidate and people had the great idea that if we made Republicans waste money on smaller losing races, he might have a better shot, right? So they were like, who can we run? Um, and they asked me to run, and my first thought was, I'm not qualified to run, um, but I've been a staunch feminist for many, you know, most of my life. Um, and I went home after they asked me, and I thought, um, why do I think I'm not qualified? Mm -hmm. um, and I went and I looked at all of our state senators and all of our state representatives, and there was only one senator who had anywhere near my credentials by the time he ran for office the first time. Um, and I was like, oh, so I'm actually more qualified than all these people mm -hmm. <laughs> when it goes to the first run. Um, and then, you know, it was one of those things where the numbers in the county were close enough um, that you could win. And, um, and the other part was I was running for an office that I thought mattered. It was the clerk of court's office, you know, which, you know, as an attorney, I care about administration. Um, of our judicial system. So it's like, oh, it, you know, kind of makes sense. Worst case scenario, I lose, and this senator has a better shot at winning. Best case scenario, I might actually be doing something that could help people on a grand scale. You know, when I was an attorney practicing, um, you know, it, it's, it's both employment and civil rights laws. Um, one of the things that was always a challenge um, was getting the courts, was a simpler system for low-income people to bring in their um, bring in their cases and having their fees waived because their income was so low. Um, so, which was a challenge, a really big challenge for tenants um, because they would have to put up these high numbers of uh, like payment as an escrow to before they could like appeal an, an adverse opinion. And nobody has that kind of money. You know, even middle class people don't have that kind of money. Um, so it would mean that if you had a slumlord um, who was successful at the lower level for that tenant to appeal a decision, that was just impossible. So I was like, oh, there are all of these good things I could do in that role. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how, um, you know, I started. And, you know, it just turned out that I got primaried um, and I was slaughtered in the primary. <laughs> that didn't even, like, help them. Oh, <laughs> no.
as much money as, like, as a candidate should raise. Um, you know, she's like, there are all of these reasons why you should have um, done more poorly, but if you look at your numbers in the city, you got 75% of the vote. She's mm. like, there, there's no way um, someone like you should have done that well, you know, given um, the, 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 the city, you're, the, the region you're in. And to clarify, um, she's saying that is a good thing. Like, I don't want to make sure listeners are hearing that being like, she's not saying you should have done that well. She's saying that, you know, it's this is a motivation. You should, you're the kind of person who could be doing really well. Yeah, exactly. And that's her point. She's like, there are all of these reasons that you, that you should think this is a bad idea, but no, like your numbers, uh, you know, show that you are a winning candidate. You, you know, you just have to, you just have to decide that you want to run again. Um, and then what happened was a few years later, um, you may have heard of this because it's made it into Canada and Australian news. I read um, those a lot. This... I read mostly Australian <laughs> news. Yes. Um, it was a really embarrassing moment, but there was a major sinkhole in Harrisburg that destroyed a whole block. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was due to water leaking and nobody would repair it because none of the contractors trusted that the city had the money to pay them. So, and that was about a block from my house. <laughs> and I was like, holy, you know, like, oh, like, I, if, if I don't do something, you know, I could, my my house could literally sink in, you know, <laughs> um, a little bit later. So I was like, oh, maybe they just need a little bit more help, um, you know, figuring out you know, what's going on with the city because the finances of the city were in really bad shape and all of that. So it was like, well, I'll, you know, I'll try to run. And that's how I ran for the city. Um, and at the time, you know, I received the most votes of any candidate, even the mayoral candidate. Wow. Um, yeah, so that was the news of that election that this woman that nobody knew, you know, outperformed every single candidate in, you know, in that race. It's... And I didn't raise that much money. <laughs> well, I mean, well, you didn't raise as much money as a mayor, I assume, but um, I'm sure you did have resources. You had a whole campaign, right? You had mail, you did door knocking, etc. Yes, absolutely. A lot. You know, that that is my strength generally, the door knocking, the canvassing, the building relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it, yeah, so I think, I don't remember how much I raised that year, but um, that year I think I may have raised around ten thousand. You know, the mayoral candidate raised over a hundred thousand, um, and then the highest city council candidate I think raised like fifteen thousand. And if you <coughs> look at you know, that was eight years ago, and then this pa- yeah. this past year, we well not this past year, this past month basically, and just a few weeks ago. Um, we saw Georgia candidates win who, like, if you had said five years ago that the African-American preacher from Ebenezer Church and a millennial Jewish man were going to be the new senator, Democratic senators from Georgia, people probably wouldn't have expected that, right? So maybe we have a new expectation of who is electable and who um, should be encouraged to run. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that has fundamentally been a problem with the Democratic bench. There's mm-hmm. this idea of what a candidate looks like. Um, and if you deviate for that, from that, 
then your electability points go down, mm-hmm. right? So I, I remember, you know, asking for endorsements the first time I ran for city council, and they would tell me I'm not electable. And I would say, but, like, I'm literally the only person in this whole slate who's had 75% of the vote. <laughs> of these I mean, I lost that election because it was a county-wide election, um, but I, I have strong numbers here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's just it's like, no. And it, there was never, like, a... They could never quite say why I wasn't electable. Right. You know? It was just like, well, we just don't think you're you know, electable compared to the other people. Because I think there's there are two things that happen. There's a built-in presumption that the candidate looks like, you know, JFK, or um, the candidate must look like the demographic they represent. Right. Or, and, and I love him, he did my podcast, he's one of my top three favorite senators. If you're going to win in Pennsylvania, you have to look like Bob Casey. You have to be Bob Casey. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you don't have to be a charismatic white man like me. You have to be a boring white man in order to win. Exactly. And I say that with can't feathers. <laughs> and and I say that with undying love. Like Bob Kate, I love him. He's gotten cooler over the years. He will admit he's gotten cooler. Uh, but you know, no one. He didn't win by a landslide against Rick Santorum by being a suave Barack Obama. He won by being, well, that's Bob Casey. Right. <laughs> And I do, I, you know, to stay on this point, though, not about Bob Casey, who, again, we, he's one, a wonderful senator, but um, we have another election coming up in a couple years in Pennsylvania, as they always are. And I have good friends in uh, the Democratic Party who are like, well, I understand people want to see this group represented or this person winning statewide. We can do that after we win this election because it's so important. That's on the back burner. And it seems like recruiting and motivating and encouraging diverse candidates is always something that can wait till the next election. Is that kind of how a lot of that argument comes? Yeah, I think that's how it is, especially for the more glamorous and more prestigious races, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, where people are like, oh, you know, the stakes are so high right now. We can't take a chance, you know, with, with this person here who's unviable and the only reason he's unviable or she's unviable is because she doesn't look like Bob Casey. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, but yeah, that's historically, and I think that really misses the mark because if you've been losing elections, the only way to win is to bring in new people. The people who've been voting will come out to vote. Um, so the only way to get new people is to get maybe different personalities, different issues, different, you know, ways of campaigning, different ways of communicating, you know, mm-hmm. to reach that, like, margin that you need uh, to actually win it. So I think we, we lose a lot um, by thinking that there's only one way to convey a message, there's only one way to, 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 to connect with, um, with people. And there isn't, right? Like, the, the way I relate to a constituent in Harrisburg is in the same way someone who was born and raised in Harrisburg can relate to that constituent, right? But it doesn't mean we can't relate, that we don't have similar interests, that we don't have same things, you know, same problems. Um, but, you know, the way I, we talk about them 
to each other will be different, right? And you, you bring up a lot of things I want to bring up now, uh, one of which is that in local politics, of which you are a part of, basically, a, a city council in Harrisburg, um, I have seen this resistance from people saying if someone's going to win, they not only need to look a certain way, but they need to be from here. They need to be fourth generation of this town. Um, we don't like outsiders too much. And a, an outsider doesn't mean from another country. It could just mean from someone from the town over sometimes. Um, but I feel like populations, especially in cities, um, are more transient and, and not in a bad way. Like my town, over half the population has been here for five years or less, especially with new development. So maybe that residency of being here forever, it doesn't hold as much weight as maybe it did 20, 30 years ago. No, and, you know, and I think it's how you relate, you know, because sometimes, you know, one of the things with Central Pennsylvanians is that we're very, I would say, imprecise with language. So when someone says you're not from here, they might not actually care where you're from, but there's a whole... There are a lot of things that they're saying in that um, you're not someone who who, had, who who survived the flood, so you don't you might not care about flood insurance. Um, you're not someone who you know um, saw the school get abandoned and turn into blight, right? And so the concern might be blight, the concern might be flood, the concern might be the sinkhole, um, but it gets communicated as you're not from here. So, right? um, so, you know, and then there's, you know, and then there is a little bit of prevent, actual provincialism, but I think sometimes we have to break down what it is people are are saying and what it is they're talking about, because most people are not going to be precise and say, well, how do you feel about, you know, flood insurance um, or government-funded subsidized flood insurance? They're not going to say that. They're going to say, you know, I, I, it's just, I need help dealing with floods. Um, Assessed, right? So, um, so, but yeah, it's really funny because one of my dear friends, she ran for this, uh, several years ago. It was a countywide seat. She was from one town over. She's lived in Pennsylvania for, at that point, for 35 years. And that was one of the negative um, campaign talking points against her that she wasn't from mm-hmm. this area. Um, you know, but her whole life, her whole kids, so, you know, like her whole life is here. Um, and that was something that, you know, people did raise with me too, but, you know, um, I had no, no shame in it, right? So I'll, you know, I'll give you like one example. Um, this woman was walking, you know, I knocked on her door and she said, um, she said, oh, I heard that you're, you're an immigrant. And I was like, yeah, she's like, you know, where are you from? I'm like, well, I'm from Venezuela, but I've, you know, I've been in the U.S. for this long, and this is where I've lived. You know, and at that point, when I ran for city council, I had been in Harrisburg for seven years. Um, and this is a woman whose family has been here for generations. And she said, well, you know, I don't have, I don't know who I'm going to vote for for the fourth slot, um, but I don't really think immigrants should be involved in our government. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, thank you. Thank you for your time. If you do change your mind, this is my information, blah, 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 blah. Um, oh, but she had also asked, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm an immigration attorney, because at that point I had opened my practice. Of, and she said, wait, so, you, so not only are you an immigrant, but you bring them here, too. Wow. <laughs> and, I, you know, and I was like, yeah, that's, 
bring immigrants here. So, um, you know, so I walked away. And then it just so happened that I stopped by the corner with my volunteer and we started to talk. And because um, I think the second person, it, there was a gun issue. So me and my volunteer were talking, were debriefing on the gun issue. Um, and she had, she walked by and she overheard that conversation. And then she was like, you know what, maybe it's not such a bad thing if I vote for an immigrant. So she's like, give me your information, I'll think about it. And if I decide to vote for you, I'll, ask, you know, I'll, I'll share your information with my neighbors as well. Um, you know, she has been a consistent supporter since then. Um, so, you know, so sometimes, you, you know, it's, I think in the big scheme of things, yeah, maybe ideally she, you know, doesn't want an immigrant running her government, <laughs> but she also is more concerned about guns and the impact on her family. <laughs> and I think that's something you learn about voters is that, one, voters are less siloed, like, less um, broad, I guess, than maybe people think. Um, and two, they just want to get things done. Like, you hear that with the um, talk about the COVID relief package from President Biden and people are like, well... Would you support it if it didn't get any Republican votes? Like, I, I can't imagine anyone in my town will, you know, get the help they need, get a job and be like, oh, wait, it didn't, it only passed with one party supporting. Oh, this is, you know, they used reconciliation to get me um, food. Like, no one, no one gives a damn. Yeah, exactly. I can't. I, I want to so, find the. I want to find the single issue voter whose single issue is using reconciliation to pass legislation. <laughs> They're probably out it's there, probably, but it's just, and I can guarantee it's probably a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah. Uh, but one of the things you also said is, um, the stakes of an election that like a statewide race we have a senate race coming up next in two years a governor's race um and, and other things happening that people see those as high stakes but your election has high stakes right like if someone's running for council or mayor of a city like harrisburg what are the stakes in that election well um if you're familiar with the financial um situation in Harrisburg, we went through Act 47, you know, in the process, and then we had a plan as of 2014, yes, 2014, um, and we're, you know, we then had a coordinator, and now we have a board, a state board that we have to kind of answer to, um, but you're right, the, the how it relates to people's lives is important. One of the big things, one of the major problems with the city was just major financial mismanagement, so we've lost out on a lot of our assets, mm -hmm. which means that our ability to generate revenue to provide services has been really um, squeezed. And you can see that in, you know, things like how quickly we're able to fill in potholes, right? Um, we probably encounter, anyone in the U.S. encounters, you know, potholes in the U.S. more frequently than they encounter a full booth. Um, but, um, but we tend to think of the local people as not being able, not impacting our lives as much as the people who can, who regulate the toll booth. Um, so, um, so potholes, you know, what's the state of our playgrounds, um, whether they're safe or not, whether we could upgrade them, um, whether, um, 
you know, how we're funding and treating and managing our police departments, um, you know, whether we can afford to actually pick up garbage or not. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all of those things, those are all very much quality of life things. Our ability to, you know, we, we are an old city, so our homes are very old, which means rehabbing them is very expensive.
pick up the phone and call or t- even type an email. Yeah, yeah, and it could be like two or three days worth of complaining and problems that have been solved on day one, or at least have an answer, an expectation of when it could, if it could be solved, because sometimes there are things we can't fix. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so one other thing based on what you said too is when you ran um there was the significant problem with the city's finances there there continue to be issues with policing good or bad and not, i'm not being critical either direction on this um, there are big problems and you talked about your qualifications if someone especially if they're young it wants to make change how do you get over that kind of aversion and worry that wow those are big problems i don't know if i am able to really fix that it's probably going to take someone with 20 years experience to do it um i think you just have to be someone who's committed to do the work um because here's the thing um you know when there's a problem if all of the people who have the same way of looking at it or solving it, it gets solved for the people who are like them. Mm-hmm. Um, so oh, if there's a problem, you want as many people involved, you know, you want that problem to be seen from as many angles as possible so that when it's solved, it's solved for as many people as possible. So you may not know how to, um, you know, interpret regulation, but that's what you have a study solicitor for. That's mm-hmm. their job, right? And you could say, well, I think if we did this, um, this group of people wouldn't benefit at all from it. So um, we will be leaving them out. And then it's up to the solicitors to figure out how to how to draft that the right way. Um, sometimes, you know, I do parts and, I'm, I'm on the Parks and Rec Committee. I am not a, a you know, I love the National Park Service, I love our local parks, but if you ask me what's the safest way to build equipment, I have no idea, right? right? So my job is to then reach out to engineers and people and say, like, okay, um, this has been a problem. Uh, I don't know how to fix it. What is? What are your recommendations? And I rely on the city engineers, but I also rely on engineers and designers outside of the city, so that's why I'm not just, um, you know, you know, not being manipulated into, like, one answer, the mm-hmm. answer that's the easiest for the mayor to do, for example, um, or that's the easiest for that employee to do. Right. Um, so as you have to be willing to do the work, but outside of that, you have to um, just be willing to bring your perspective. And, be, you know, one of the things I think is a challenge for people who, you have to be a confident person who you are and your life history and what you bring to the table. Because one of the biggest disservices I see is people who don't have a lot of experience or people who feel insecure about something. They don't know enough about this or about that. And instead of leaning into it um, and asking the question someone like them would need answers to understand, they just kind of go along. Um, and, and then that does a really disservice to solving problems in the most um, holistic way, right? Because um, if your value or, or all of your weaknesses and all of your strengths um, that you bring to problem solving. Um, and uh, if you leave any of those out, um, you know, you leave out 
people, there are, there are going to be a lot of people like you. Um, there are a lot of people like any one of us, right? Um, so, so I don't think inexperience uh, is a problem um, if you, if you, like, you just do the work and be honest with your life experiences and your perspective. Um, you know, I one of the things that really bothers me is that poverty is so stigmatized in the U.S. Um, that there are a lot of people who have a lot of poor relatives for an office um, or are, may themselves be poor, but they don't want people to know. So when there are things that affect um, low-income populations, they don't want to say it, right? Uh, they don't want to, like, come out of, like, a poverty closet kind of thing um, because that will, you know, betray that they themselves came from a poor family or or they have poor relatives or whatever. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, you know, like, this is your moment yeah. <laughs> to fix this problem. <laughs> like, this is your moment. <laughs> and I and found... you're sitting here. Yeah. <laughs> and you're here pretending that it's not affecting your family. And, like, I, I know it is, you know. Um, so it's just, um, you know, the, whatever you see or, like, whatever you think of as being a weakness, might be actually a strength in solving a problem. Mm-hmm. And I think that's how everybody should look running, look at running for office, right? Uh, what's the problem and do you want to solve it? Yeah. I, I, think, I think that may be one of the, the best things you said today. And I hope that people realize it. it's so easy to feel like you're weak, but that could be important. I, I know in my town, and I know it's the same in Harrisburg, there is a lot of poverty um, people who need food, uh, people who need health care, and it's behind a closed door, and you know, no one sees it. And so, like, you don't know that your neighbor struggles just to eat because yeah. they you don't. And it doesn't mean anyone's bad. It's not a moral judgment on anyone. There, it's just you can't solve a problem if you don't see it. And those people aren't going to let themselves be seen if they feel like they're going to be looked down upon doing it. Right, exactly, exactly. And, you know, Harrisburg has this perversity around the poverty because not only do we have a high poverty rate, we're also the capital, and we have a lot of lobbyists and people. And it just fascinates me sometimes because I will know where, like, the intern of a particularly wealthy lobbyist lives. And I'll... You know, and that intern looks good. They look like they have money. They look like they are, you know, living the life. They're at parties with their boss, you know, networking, whatever. But then you see their home and the roof is falling in. There's mold. You know, they're pests because the landlord isn't, like, dealing with pests. Um, so, you know, so we have these ways of... Um, uh, compartmentalizing our lives so that we communicate to different people different things about mm-hmm. where we are um, and um, yeah but yeah so two what one final question because it's the you should run podcast <clears throat> you are preparing to gather your signatures and start up a campaign again and um, so you've gone through the process if someone's listening would you and why would you encourage them to to run for office? whether it's this year for local office or for, for anything? Um, well, if they're running, you know, there are many reasons to run. I think you have to, I always think of races as um, 
as, you know, you fighting for your values, right? Mm -hmm. So even if you don't win, um, if your values get more visibility, you still help uh, your community, right? Um, so that's one of the main things. So, you know, you know as a lawyer, you'll be, that's kind of one of the ways I've been trained. Like, there's a way of losing, in, in, you can lose in a way in which you win. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not just getting actual, uh, the seat, it's also, um, are you pushing your values forward? Like, did you move something? Um, and so I think anyone who's thinking about running should consider running, and everyone will have different challenges as they run the race. You know, there isn't an ideal candidate. You know, I, uh, one of the things that I'm dealing with for this election cycle is that I'm actually pregnant, um, and the the uh, when signatures are when I start collecting signatures, I think I'll be 36 weeks <laughs> into my pregnancy, um, and the signatures are due about two weeks or a week after two weeks before my the baby is due, right? Um, so I have this challenge around pregnancy, um, but it's also um, you know I also have now two people for, to improve the world for. Um, mm -hmm. So you, you can still do it. And, you know, it's fascinating to me because when I first ran for office, I didn't know too many people in, in, in Harrisburg or central Pennsylvania. But now I've been here long enough, you know, that, that, um, that the pregnancy is a health challenge, um, but it's not a, a campaign-breaking challenge, right? It just means I have to work around um, the health concerns. Related to the pregnancy. Well, if anyone calls you lazy, they're you're allowed to slap them. I think that that's the rule. <laughs> so if you're <clears throat> if you're pregnant and working, especially at this level, um, both in terms of work level of work and level of pregnancy, um, there is a rule. I think you are allowed to not too hard, but you are allowed to push them or something once. Um, but it is, <laughs> you know, it's an issue that no man has to face. Um, and as you said you know, with other things, I'm sure that there are a lot of men who say, well, that's probably why we um, shouldn't ask you, not you particular, but we shouldn't ask this person to run because they're going to have a baby or they, um, they just had a baby. But if you didn't run, your voice wouldn't be there. And that's a bigger loss than any, than, than just some time. So I appreciate you making that hard work to do it. Um, Shemaine, before we go, if people want to follow you on Twitter or wherever else you prefer to learn more about um, where you're going and eventually see baby pictures, I don't know. Um, how should they follow you to see to see your progress? Um, I don't really have a progress. Um, I, you know, I, I actually haven't been on Twitter for years, um, and I. You know, and I am on Instagram, but I don't do political things on Instagram. <laughs> um, so I have a Facebook, like a Facebook politician page. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, but, you know, the, yeah, there's probably not going to be too much about the pregnancy on this Facebook politician. Well, I meant progress in terms of what you're doing for Harrisburg. <laughs> like, it doesn't have to, yeah. <laughs> just, you know, how, how can people learn more about you and follow what you're doing? Yeah, 
then, um, you know, if people want to message me, I do have, like, a newsletter that they send out to people every once in a while if things happen. Um, that came in really handy during COVID to kind of keep people updated about what was going on. Um, but, yeah, the, the Facebook politician page is the, is, is the mm-hmm. most, yeah. Great. Well, I really oh, appreciate it. Yeah. I hope that people do follow Shemaine. Um, I'll put the information up on the in the profile here on the link. Um, and it, again, go back to the You Should Run podcast page at Podbean to find all the past episodes. It's on a lot of other podcast apps wherever you listen. Um, so if you go from listening to something else, check out past episodes with an ele- someone who's run for office or been in office in every state in the country from city council to mayor to county commissioner all the way up to u.s senate we have it all so thank you so much shamine and best of luck both in health and in what you're doing for harrisburg thank you so much Tony.